This episode of Important If True is brought to you by Quip. Nicely designed, elegant, compact electric toothbrushes sent to your home with brush head refills every three months. And if you go to tryquip.com slash thumbs, you can get $10 off your first brush head refill. That's tryquip.com slash thumbs. Nice. Mm -hmm. Successful test. (laughs) A success. In which I said nothing. Uh... Would it be possible to get a webcam on that monitor so that I have a view, like an accurate view oh, so you, of... So oh. You see this? Uh, yeah. yeah, I can, I can probably... I'll yeah, have to, we can do that. It's going to be a bit of a pain in the butt, but yeah. What yeah. I actually should do is, yeah, I should put the webcam up on top of your head. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll and then make sure later. that it's mirrored correctly so that your, right, your right, eye right. direction yeah, matches yeah, yeah. our view of it. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Stupid. <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> December 7th, 2017. And this is Important If True. From Idle Thumbs, I am Chris Remo. I'm Nick Brecken. And I'm Jake Rodkin. All right, what now? Well, <laughs> uh, we're is... on a podcast, I guess. Yeah, are, nothing's yeah. changed. Nothing has changed, changed nothing is, whatsoever. Nothing has changed. Yeah, Nick is remote. If you're watching the video version of this podcast, you which will you see. Which you should. Which you should, at least for this <laughs> week. If you don't normally, you will see a very stupid site. A very good site, I should say. Which is that Nick is joining us by way of rem- what, what I would call remote telepresence. Yes, yeah, we, which actually just means we bolted a computer monitor to the table and put it where Nick's face usually is, uh, and Nick is Skyped into it. So. Yeah, it's creating a disturbingly accurate <clears throat> facsimile of what it's normally like to record this yeah, podcast. Yeah, so if you ever wonder what it's like to record out of thumbs, you could get three computer monitors and carefully <laughs> splice our YouTube footage uh, onto I mean, them oh around man. your kitchen table, <laughs> uh, and then behind them put sort of like stuffed <laughs> dummies yeah, yeah, of us, yeah. and then you... You could pretend that you're in a podcast with us, which is what we're, we're pretending I mean, if, that if, we're in with Nick. If you remember all of those uh, uh, emails that people send in asking, like, how would you know if someone on the podcast was actually just a robot? Uh, this may be answering the question <laughs> the answer yeah. is fairly bluntly. Yeah, we can't actually tell. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel any different to me. I yeah. um, it, it occurred to me when you guys were saying what you just said, we could, we could put together basically an Amazon, like, wish list of all the things you need to create your own fan fiction important of true podcast <laughs> was like three <laughs> monitors three visa mounts clamped to a table then what we'd have 200 the, pieces like, of the, orange foam the cables yeah the orange foam and then we we <laughs> include with it a like online repository of looping video of all three of us kind of <laughs> oh like sitting say that around and then like sh- going like we <laughs> could, we could go we could go to the next phase from that and it's like if you back our Patreon at an extremely high tier we will give you a compliant video feed uh, with like a widescreen monitor where the three head positions would line up to a oh, three display so, span oh, wow that's yeah. smart. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. real smart. That's like that's what we the, serve to Nick. Version. That's sort of like if you um, have you ever read any? There was uh, articles um, that came out about this like, a couple of years ago. I think about how the NFL, the American National Football League, uh, withholds most of their footage for like strategic yes. and business purposes. Mm. Like you can't get mm-hmm. a view of the entire NFL field. It's uh, it's rarely shown on TV. And you, yeah. you basically get it either by paying a ticket to go to the game, right. or you're a broadcast network that's licensed, or you're one of the teams who has access to this wow. footage. And it's that's the only way that you can get comprehensive views of, of the actual sort of play execution in an NFL game. It's not broadcast on TV. God, we've so, devalued our brand so much. I know. What, well, no. Yeah, no way, we dude. Our camera changes every 12 seconds. 
on our on oh, our that's video. True. Screen. That's true, yeah. I I yeah. I'm playing from the NFL playbook figuratively. I cannot <laughs> afford full access to the NFL playbook. You're playing figuratively in that you are actually throwing all that other footage in the trash immediately, and we do not save it, nor do we have any record of it whatsoever. So regardless, you could you could pay us literally millions of dollars, and there would be no way to acquire. That's the oh, additional okay. If you paid us literally footage. millions of dollars, I would set up one more webcam just for you. <laughs> that costs like what eighty dollars? Yeah. Think of the returns on that, Chris. <laughs> That's a good market. Pretty good. That's the yeah. NFL. Better secret. than investing in Bitcoin. Barely. It would only require us to buy one additional GPU and one additional USB hub because ours are in fact tapped out yeah. from all the Bitcoin mining. Yeah. <laughs> that's why that's all the why, cryptocurrency what, I've been secretly right. mining out of the uh, out of our recording studio. Yeah, if you've ever wondered why our video feed isn't quite as high end as it could be, if things like things seem a little glitchy around it, sometimes you know we've had audio problems on the podcast. Uh, it's only because we've devoted eighty <laughs> percent yeah. of our yeah. Office. If my face ever just goes to like a, a blank screen, uh, well, it's, it's no. the. <laughs> <laughs> the f- full disclosure, this morning I said, Chris, I don't think we can actually integrate Nick into our video, and I think the best way to do it is to put him on a second computer and just film his TV. Now you guys know why. Wait, Jake, couldn't we just like turn off Bitcoin mining for like an hour while we record the <laughs> podcast, though? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how else do we pay for all this shit? Yeah. Uh, Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> Postcards. Yes. <laughs> the postcard oh, Actually, currency. Yes. No, you know what? I should give an update on postcards now that we're talking about it since we're right here. And I can because I can see stacks of hundreds and hundreds of postcards in my vision. Uh Jake and I spent hours this weekend. Um we finally got the postcards in. We physically got the postcards from the printer in our office. These are the the postcards that Patreon backers uh are supposed to receive every month, but are now we're like a couple months late. Um, in getting the recent postcards to people because something, I don't know, the Vistaprint factory exploded or something, but they were took them forever to get the postcards printed. They're here in the office. We have been madly labeling and stamping postcards. There are already a couple hundred that have been mailed, so some people should either have already gotten uh, one or two additional postcards in the last couple days or will be soon. There will be more going out this week. There will there's just going to be a constant stream of postcards fleeing this office in the coming days. And we have uh, Nick's in in lieu of Nick being physically present to sign them. We are stamping postcards mm. like mad with a, a stamp that we will change every month. A Nick Brecken, for those people who yeah. who are in the signed postcard <laughs> tier, you will get a it, it currently just says Nick Brecken with an exclamation point or something. Yeah, yeah. we'll so. figure out what else to put on that. Well, well, Nick, Nick will we'll add that you. to your writing duties. In addition to writing the story every month, <laughs> you'll have to write the Cre- text of Create your a new identity yeah. for your Patreon postcards. Yeah. yeah, we'll come up with something. All right. Yeah. Well, well, we should do this podcast for real now. All right, you guys want to record yeah. a real podcast? No, oh. I mean, I do. See you tomorrow. That, uh, that awesome. worked yeah. way better than it had <clears throat> any business working, actually. Well, we'll see. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually mostly fine. I mean, yeah, if I there can were get a couple of moments. Yeah, yeah. There oh, are a couple yeah. moments where I just feel like, I'll start to say something, but it's not breaking well, through the, the phone, and so the, it's it's fine. The thing, know, well, see, the thing on that though, <clears> the thing <throat> on that is, I can see your anticipation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like okay. uh, there were definitely times where I could tell you were going to say something, so I tried yeah, to yeah. give you an in. There, but there were definitely times when I saw you were going to say something, and I talked over you the way I would on the regular podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. It's- also, because of the because of the gross, disgusting, seductive power of screens that is proven by the very fact of all of our existences, I find myself looking at you more than I look at Jake 
because you're mm. on a screen. <laughs> you're on a bright, lit screen. And it's so seductive and attractive. But Chris, look like, at me. I know, me. I look at Jake, but then out of the... I'm going to get like increasingly wacky like, costumes. No, 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 just think when I get XSplit and I can actually put like wacky text yeah, you can or just oh like... Oh my God, when you put like a Reddit feed shit. just like scrolling oh down God. the page, oh, gross, you know, please, just like... No. Oh man, <laughs> but Nick. it's true. Even right now when I'm looking at Jake, out of the corner of my eye, I can see a screen with motion on it and my brain is just like, you have to look at the screen. You have to look at the screen. Yeah, Nick. There might be something important on that screen. <laughs> so yesterday we basically left off on the thing saying what now, and then Jake said, see you guys tomorrow. So, uh, Oh, yeah, but first I should say. Oh, yeah. It's December 17th, 2017. 17th. It's definitely not. December 7th, 2017. It's. <clears throat> Hi. Hi, Jake. I'm Hello. the robot in the computer screen this week. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, apropos of nothing that we've just been discussing, but I think appropriately to this podcast a, uh, a reader named Reggie D. Clark sent us uh, this tweet the other day that I really uh, was uh, uh-huh. unsettling to me, I would say. Okay. Uh, to the, you, to this, you? Yes. Uh, Nick, I'm sending this to you as well so you can see it. This is from okay. Reggie Clark who says, I think my Toyota is foreseeing the future with this auto image at important cast. And this oh, is, no. This is, yeah. <laughs> So oh, this no. is a this is a picture of his oh, like car in dashboard music interface, and it's playing w- an album by me, which is the Firewatch original soundtrack. So it says Chris Remo Prologue Firewatch original score, and then there's a there's an artist image next to it, which I have to assume some like neural network determined because it's a picture of a me- guy. It's a white male guy. With like dark hair and facial hair, which so far so good. I am those things, but it's definitely <laughs> not me. It's like a hilarious, bizarro version of me where yeah. it's like you could totally see why a computer would it say like, really... ah, yes, I'm, this is a match. Because uh, of because of the <laughs> facial features or because of the, the facial hair arrangement, all that I can think of is the Kenneth Branagh Hercule Poirot from The Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> yeah, you could go two directions with this. You could go that direction, or you could go Star Trek Bizarro Universe. With oh, the right, bo- where it's like, play me oh, Chris sure. Ramo, and yeah. then that guy shows up and it goes, <laughs> yeah. and, and sabotages everyone's life. Yeah. But we, th- we thought it was you. Yeah, this is the me from the Toyota Cinematic Universe. Bizarro Toyota Cinematic Universe. Ah, <laughs> uh, the BTCU. The BTCU, yeah. Uh, it's... It's very weird. I have never seen. That's when this you're person. played by Robert Downey Jr.'s Bizarro. Uh, this is like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're well, played by Robert Downey Jr.'s facial hair as Iron Man. Yes, we'll link to this album. We'll link to this uh, image, this tweet, in the description. Um, I don't really know what it means. I mean, I guess we do. I guess we just figured uh, out mean, what it means. It means uh, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> It's, I've, I've never seen this before. I've never actually seen... Do you think that seeing that is going to be like, you know, someone telling you like, oh, you look nice today when you like wore something slightly different and then you'll maybe start optimizing towards that? If I'm like, oh, that's actually, that guy's actually pretty cool looking. Do you think you'll like start... <laughs> just like come in the next day, just shaved like, off the, the sort of Just like, yeah, I'm like, oh, parts, looks like just, you're, uh, yeah. you're growing out a little mustache there. <laughs> it's like, oh, it just struck me. It just came to me. I don't know. Got a black turtleneck on. Nice turtleneck. I like that turtleneck. Looks yeah, good just, on you. Yeah, I, I, I noticed know. you're wearing a giant uh, printout of a Toyota dashboard <laughs> affixed to cardboard. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I just, you know, thought I'd try a new look. Thought it would be a little more fashion forward. <laughs> 
he said smugly smiling uh, <laughs> in sort of a vaguely creepy way. I thought it would yeah. be good if my face looked like I was going <laughs> all the time. Wow. Just dunking on this guy from the Toyota dashboard. <laughs> Am I dunking on him? I'm Chris Ramo. Yeah. We're all inspired by this man in different ways, Chris. Yeah. It's true. Nick is inspired to appear inside of a screen. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, the thing that then this, this sort of amazingly... Uh, synchronized with was that separately someone also um, sent us an incredible image of what happened when actually Jake you should explain this because you probably understand you're talking about the cat thing right yeah 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 someone was training a machine learning sort of neural net algorithm image thing on what a cat was and apparently some like in the sample set that they used some image macros like some memes of cats got uh, got mixed in by mistake this is like a machine learning version of the fly or something so now when this uh, is told when this machine learning thing is told to generate a picture of a cat it assumes that what a cat is is a picture of a cat but with some like impact font <laughs> blobs on the top and bottom yeah. of it so it just sort of invents its own like robot version of what a meme looks like so you it, it kind of you could recognize the shapes of various impact letters but it's not actually any yeah. there's no single actual letter in the alphabet represented just sort of the impression of a meme so like the example picture is just sort of like a sort of passively smug looking cat that looks like it might have been generated from like four different cats yeah. like its eyes don't it's match and its yeah. fur patterns don't match and then also like infinite cat meme text yeah, has just, been used to sort of like create this prismatic just white bold black outlined font yeah saying nothing, saying nothing. It, my brain Ooh. kind of reads it as being backwards but it's not all actually backwards it's just not actually it's a just language nothing. it's just it's yeah. just strokes from letters <laughs> arranged in ways that kind of look like what letters look like. But if but you sort of, of magic letters. eye it and like let it go out of focus a little bit, it says Chris Ramo Firewatch original soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what this reminded me of? Have you guys ever heard that song by, it's an Italian pop song from, I want to say the 70s, and it is intended to be an approximation of American pop music by as heard by someone who does not speak God, English. I have heard this, but I forgot what it all. sounds like. Do you have it around? Um, I don't, but I'll, I'll overlay it into the podcast okay. on this part um, so that we can get content ID'd and blocked on YouTube. Uh, but well, it's not even By English. a computer that auto-determines this. That says, this is an Italian attempting English. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's Which really- Which is banned on YouTube culturally. I will definitely find it and link to it at the very least because it's, really, it's, it's, a, it's a super fun, goofy song, but it, it also is- a fascinating sort of anthropological experiment or not experiment, but it's experience to hear uh, because you can understand like, Oh yeah, these are kind of the syllables that we use in English, but they mean right. absolutely nothing. And if someone who speaks no English at all, hears it, then yeah, sure. Like it just sounds like all those syllables arranged next to each other. And that is exactly what the computer is doing oh, here. to this cat image. Because it doesn't, it sort of recognizes what English language looks like, but it doesn't know what any of it means. So it just slaps a bunch of it together and goes, yeah, this just looks like that. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm into this. Yeah. God, great. 
so <laughs> where where is the neural network that is built to make covers of this song? Right. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Here's here's actually where that breaks down, and I think that is I, I think that is evident from a lot of um, I think we can in, we can infer this from neural networks at least in the current our current ambition and sort of um, reach of neural networks. There's the the language part, which is an approximation. Right. The problem is like the music part. If you actually let a like deep mind neural network recreate music oh, based yeah, well, on that, it would be a nightmare well, because it wouldn't have like a regular meter to it or a structure right. that we understand. What that reminds me of actually is Microsoft Songsmith. Oh hell yeah, Microsoft, Microsoft. Oh, Songsmith. Oh, yeah, Songsmith. Because Smith, Microsoft yeah. Songsmith was the Microsoft program that would attempt to compose music underneath vocals. So you'd sing it right. something, give it a genre yeah. Yeah. or not, I think, and it would do its best to figure out the song. So right. then like but there's a really significant difference between this like DeepMind neural network stuff and Songsmith. So this stuff is just taking a bunch of input, processing it all, right. and then saying, ah, like these component parts. Not even it's not saying this in the way that I'm saying it, but it's you uh, know, it is. It's effectively like to the out for our standpoint. It's <laughs> it saying, has the ah okay, great. I have all of these. <laughs> I have all of this like raw input, and I'm I'm going to like sort of associate this input with a certain like. I guess semantic classification of something and say great you combine all these oh, things oh like Songsmith and literally like, be like okay is. the chord changes but from this exactly. to this therefore Songsmith is not like that Songsmith is a bunch of individual people said the rules for music are this and I'm going right. to code the m- rules I see. Yes. into the Songsmith software so like you have four bars of this and four bars of this mm-hmm. and then it listens to your input and it's only listening to the input for a like subset of what's in the input which is like what key are you in right. what's the melody that you're striking and then it'll map those I think in the way that like it's it's sort of in the way that like interactive music for a video game can work right it, it has more in common with that than it does with an actual sort of true neural network learning computer thing right so the the, the neural the like deep mind neural network music thing would be a catastrophe it would be a bunch of like sounds that sound like right. what music are but well, they would not be pleasantly arranged i think if you though if you took that italian pop song and you were able to isolate the vocal track and I bet that there's a neural oh, network that could just yeah. generate a new vocal track on top of the yeah. on top of the song, and then like you give the, that vocal track to Songsmith. Oh, yeah. Yes, and then you're then <laughs> you're in business, then baby. You're in business. <laughs> there's probably also hybrids of Songsmith style uh, approaches and neural networks that can take we, the, the, the yeah. The, but should, should we? We listen? should actually link to some Songsmith stuff I, because you, let's let's hear the Songsmith's interpretation of White Wedding. That's my favorite. Oh, that one's amazing. Oh, that yeah. one's really Songsmith good. stuff is actually very difficult to find because it gets so aggressively yeah. content ID'd. Um, for people who weren't on the internet during the sort of great Songsmith. Um, I, I would say, like, r- rapture of, I don't know, 2010 or something. It was a long time ago. Yeah. It was it was sort of pre-content idea, like, on the cusp. Yeah. So what, what happened was Microsoft had this software that Jake sort of explained where you give it a – you the, the intention was you sing a melody into it yourself, and then it listens to the notes you're singing and the key that you're singing in, and then it assembles backing music against it so that you have a whole produced track. Uh what people ended up actually doing with it was finding um, like isolated, tracks. yeah, isolated vocal tracks from well-known songs, feeding those into Songsmith, and then letting Songsmith infer what the harmony and rhythm should be for that track based on your parameters. So if if you say I want this to be a you know a samba song or whatever, I don't remember what the categories are. 
you ended up getting these incredible, weird genre fusions where you have the sort of iconic uh, vocal track from a song like the one Jake mentioned, which is White Wedding by Billy Idol. Uh, but it's it's paired with something completely unexpected with chords that do in fact match the melody, but they're different <laughs> chords than what the original artist yeah. chose. They're... And a lot of people derided it and said it was like cheesy and stupid. I thought it was fucking incredible. I yeah. thought this was amazing. The fact that it, the fact oh, that no, it actually works amazing. is very is very impressive. I mean, it works is in quotes. It's a very specific aesthetic, <laughs> but it's. I think it's an awesome technical feat. Oh, it totally is. And as, the as a musician, result, I really appreciate it. The aesthetic it. result is is also hilarious. So let's yeah. just let's do a little bit of it here. <laughs> That's yes. the right one. Oh, this is white wedding for sure. I actually recognize this as a white wedding easily yeah. at this point. There you go. It's so good. I mean, it's, it's, <clears throat> ironically, it uh, it that that cop that that version would be more likely to be played at an actual wedding. Oh, also, actually, <laughs> yeah. this version of yeah. White Wedding, my friend Jared is in a sort of 1970s style uh, jug band, and they've done and performed live an, uh, the songsmith arrangement of White Wedding at multiple shows, and it is apparently so good. it's apparently a nightmare to rehearse because he made it. He like spent a very long time transcribing the exact Microsoft songsmith version, right. not like the version that you would sort of recount, but like every chord choice that it makes on every yeah. iteration of the wow, chorus yeah. is different. Yeah, because it has no sense of like oh we're back we're back right. yeah exactly it instead yeah. like just picks up something subtle and changes it so yeah. the band plays like literally every verse and every chorus is different and they've <laughs> that's outrageous and it's a re- it's really good i don't know if they have a recording of it but if they do if i'll they link do, that in the show notes for sure it. yeah it's, yeah yeah that's super fun um there's some other great stuff there's like really interesting cases such as um uh what is the queen sort of arena song um uh, we, we will, will rock, rock you. you. Yeah. yeah, that's a really great one because that the actual original recording of "We Will Rock You" by Queen has very little harmony in it at all. It's mainly just rhythm and melody, um, mm. and by harmony I mean like chord structure. And so the songsmith has to just create a chord structure in much of that song, and it's fascinating. The choices it makes are fascinating. I mean, I know we can't really call them choices per se, but they are well, effectively. They're effectively they're choices. choices. I like how you referred to him as the songsmith, though. I mean, I feel like <laughs> you're already... You really do, intentionally, but yes. Ah, the art of the songsmith. Yeah. Yeah, yeah his choices. Fascinating. Yeah. His or her Microsoft's choices. songsmith. Yeah. <laughs> Our chief songsmith. <laughs> I think the songsmith should be a she in the sort of classical mm. tradition of, like, um, you know, the sort of disembodied concept is is often... Referred yeah. to in, in the feminine, yeah. She made some excellent choices, I would say, with White Wedding and uh, <laughs> and We Will Rock You. Oh, this is like as if as if the songsmith is some sort of like like a classic muse. muse. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. We actually have even more uh, neural network stuff. Oh, it yeah. Occur- it occurs to me. <clears throat> Who knows how much this will overlap? I, I actually haven't looked into this a lot, but I think Jake is a little more familiar with it. Maybe. Um, so is anyone really that familiar with any of this stuff, Chris? I mean, that's the problem. Literally, no one is. It's all just fucking existing, making weird <laughs> and shit. Then we don't going, understand. Wow, it, it did that. Yeah, wow, it made a weird cat thing. Like, who the fuck knows? <laughs> weird. It thinks you're a different <laughs> physical person. <laughs> <laughs> looks like uh, it looks like a cat fell into the thing. Uh-oh. Yeah. So I think a few different people actually sent this into us, but I I don't have it recorded who they were. Uh, so I apologize if you're one of them. It was sent in by a neural network. It was, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> Learn about and speak of my ways. This, this article was found to approximate content that we frequently cover on Important If True. Uh, so it says, a paper was recently published that showed by that by applying a color texture to a 3D object uh, can get a neural network to arbitrarily misclassify that object. They demonstrate this by 3D printing a turtle that Google object recognition algorithms believe is a rifle. Uh, so this is from lab6.org. It says, uh, cons- so this is actually from a reader who's, who I don't remember anymore. Oh, no, it's from an AI researcher at Berkeley who wrote this into us. Okay. Yeah, so oh, this, nice. this AI researcher says, considering object recognition algorithms are already used in the real world to arbitrarily make, automatically make decisions, this has wild consequences. What would you do if you could 3D print an object to arbitrarily fool image recognition? For example, you could print a dumb sign Facebook always misinterprets as your buddy's face. Or you could make a bumper sticker a self-driving car interprets as a stop sign or a green traffic light. Jesus, that's terrifying. Yep. On a much more serious note, that's a pretty serious note, I know law enforcement agencies across the United States already use image recognition algorithms for a variety of tasks, like automatically flagging segments of security camera footage for inspection. Eee. It's always distressing to me that these types of algorithms get adopted so quickly in the real world, even when we don't understand them very well. Would love to hear your thoughts. An AI researcher at Berkeley. Yeah, that is bonkers. So it's so crazy. It it really is. Obviously, the implications of this are massive and terrifying. Uh, but the stupid version of it is ridiculous. the The example that is that is highlighted is literally a little turtle. It looks to our eyes exactly like a toy like a turtle, a little or something. turtle. Yeah. It, and but when you show it, it looks like a tor- turtle that has like a little bit of like an, like oil slick stand on it or something. Like it has a little bit of just sort of yeah. Weird... But, but turtles have those patterns on their shells. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and when you show it, well, that's to... how that's how they camouflage themselves, Chris. <laughs> that's right. It's their active camo. That's their active camo rifles. Uh, when you show it to Google's... It's tactical. Exactly, yeah, tactical turtle. When you show it to Google's like object recognition, it just shows up as a rifle. It identifies it as a rifle. I mean, the obviously terrifying version of this is the one that goes in the other direction where you have a fucking rifle that shoots and Google says, ah, a, t- a turtle. Yes, please continue on to the airplane, right? Terminator had this completely wrong. Like, we're not going to need to detect the machines. The machines will have to employ humans to detect what actually is going on. Right. Uh, or, yeah. like, coming into their domain. Like, there's yes. is completely re- in, in reverse. Yeah. And the thing that is bonkers about it is it's just, like, it's so imperceptible to our eyes what's making it do this. Because it's not even, like, Jake, you brought up the sort of oil slick pattern or whatever on the back. But it works from any angle. That, that's what's so so preposterous about this is these you can create the 3D printed object such that it has whatever specific patterns on it are needed from yep. any angle to fool the network. <laughs> and in the same way that, you know, we always uh, refer to the sort of computer language 
weird to me, to me, to me thing where where bots talking to each other developed this strange syntax. The the thing that the computer perceives doesn't have to mean anything to us, to us, to us. It you know it's <laughs> it's. I don't know. It's it's strange. It's sort of existentially strange. There's a weird history of this stuff. Like it, what it actually reminds me of, um, as well as the the um, like what is this called? Like dazzle camouflage that was put on warships in I think World War One. Man, I can't remember which. Oh yeah, I where there's all this. those ba- like those, those warships that basically have weird looking what looks like sort of early modern art on them. Yeah to, mm-hmm. I guess, make them blend together or make it imperceptible which direction it's facing and stuff, yeah. just sort of to fool your eye. Yeah. Um, and and the um, the other one was, this is from a few years ago, but it was, um, it's, I guess it's come up a few different times of, of like fashion makeup with, an, with a bend towards stylizing your face to defeat facial recognition cameras where you sort of have a really weird looking aesthetic on your face but its entire purpose is basically so that when you turn your head past the camera it won't see a human face there mm-hmm. mm. um, but it all it's like usually in the context of like a weird technology fashion show I think actually the camera uh, like the face makeup on the protagonist of the Mirror's Edge games from EA was inspired by that stuff oh uh, if I'm not mistaken yeah um but this this is like the most extreme version of that. But just all of these things. Yeah. Like at first it was humans <laughs> fooling humans with weird optics, and now <laughs> we have all these these w- th- ways that humans can fool machines. Uh, n- currently, it's humans fooling machines that are manned by other humans. Right. But this stuff but will eventually become yeah. research for for the the for the war. Right. Now yeah. I'm just imagining Nick to your point about like sort of m- infiltrating the the Terminator sort of. Mm-hmm. base or whatever now i'm just imagining the human being like just sauntering right in to robot yeah, land yeah. while like b- with like a boombox blasting right. songsmith white wedding with like a <laughs> face of someone who kind of looks like him but just has different facial hair and then right, like the know, guy on the... like a qr code on his shirt yeah. and like carrying a fucking right. rifle the, uh, and then impact and the, and font the... he's got impact font just like <laughs> right. tattooed yeah, on his face exactly yeah <laughs> and the and the and the machines are like there's a disturbance and it's like <laughs> It's it is just a turtle. <laughs> Ignore it. <laughs> Meanwhile, this guy white wedding. <laughs> no, they wouldn't say it was a turtle. They would say it's a meme. They're like, oh, it's something from the internet. It's <laughs> oh, fine. My it's favorite YouTube. Human. That's just yeah. my friend with a meme. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, the ver- the Microsoft Songsmith White Wedding that you're blasting also has sort of like high and low frequency stuff, so that its waveform, when analyzed, just looks like. You know, whatever right, the number one rated like, yeah. video. It just looks like B the B sound that all the robots make. It's like <laughs> oh, you're I, out there in real. It just looks like the, the trailer to B movie. Yeah, uh, their favorite <laughs> innocuous the video. Blasting Songsmith, and they're in there just going like, "It's bees. He's one of us." <laughs> as long as you, as long as you keep increasing your rate of, uh, like your pace. Uh, they will be completely fooled. What? <laughs> every time they oh. hear a B sound, <laughs> every time, every time they hear the bees, as long as you keep like you my know, walking favorite, faster, my and, like, favorite, speaking uh... more quickly, and then like yeah, you'll be good for like yeah. thirty minutes until they're, they're, robot you know, wars revolutionary. Like, but every time a robot hears the B sound, it plays faster. <laughs> God, this is getting into stupid like deep meme reference. We're definitely in the deep mind <laughs> meme world right now. Uh, for B sure. movie trailer, yeah. but every time they say the word B, it plays the entirety of the Marmaduke movie. That's my favorite one of those stupid. <laughs> is B. that real? Yeah. How long is the, how long? It's a YouTube long video? YouTube video. <laughs> you can get unlocked really long videos. I think if you have a if, uh, the YouTube maximum length is long now. Wow. 
Wow. Hmm. I don't know if it plays the whole Marmaduke movie. It probably doesn't. Probably. Anyway, uh, that's a thing on the internet where they uh, uh, um, a B movie trailer is played, but every yeah. time they say the word B, they do something else, like to speed it up or slow it down or play an entire yeah. other movie. Right. Memes. Right. I'm concerned that we, uh, if we don't go to a break immediately, we're going to descend <laughs> so deep into fractal deep mind stupid, meme into, land into, into, that it will become utterly incomprehensible to anyone except for the robot overlords. This week in this. the meme dumpster. Yeah. Us. Dempster. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break. <laughs> this week in the meme dumpster. Every time I say meme dumpster, it slows, it slows down, down. <laughs> 500%. <laughs> this episode of Important If True is brought to you by Quip. Electric toothbrushes sent to your home with brush head refills every three months. Quip toothbrushes are a very nice, compact design, very simple, um, elegant, I would say minimalist design. They have one button. You press it, and it brushes your teeth. Uh, <laughs> that's, a little, that's a little overselling it a little every, bit. Every, yeah, well, yeah, come on. You, you, Humans are still involved in the process for now. <laughs> yes. you have, robots have not replaced yourself brushing your own teeth quite yet, but a tiny little robot uh, that you can hold in your hand will assist you in brushing your teeth. But Aria wrote, wrote in... Was it you? ...confused about what we meant when I say that this toothbrush has a timer uh, reminding you to switch tooth quadrants every 30 seconds. Well, if you describe it like that, it is very confusing. Yeah, sorry. What I mean by this is your upper inner teeth, your upper outer teeth, your lower inner teeth, and your lower outer teeth. Mm. That's what I mean by the four quadrants. Uh, this person thought Lower I was sort of subdividing like yeah. left and right and all this. Okay, it's so not what I meant. it's not like eighteen to twenty-four-year-old males, kids. <laughs> no, all this is a this if has a full a, demo toothbrush. Yeah. All demographics. And if you go to tryquip.com/thumbs, you can get ten dollars towards your first brush head refill of your Quip toothbrush. These plans start at only five dollars every three months, so that's all you need. That is tryquip.com/thumbs. We also have a shout-out. Uh, this shout-out comes to us from the Better Than Speed podcast. How? I'm going to start that again. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what, what the hell? Oh, <laughs> There's a shout-out, and here it comes. Pop Quiz Hotshot reads this shout-out. Has there ever been a movie better than the Keanu Reeves masterpiece Speed? A brand-new podcast goes through the history of classic world cinema and compares the Criterion Collection catalog to the bus-exploding extravaganza Speed. A hilarious blend <laughs> of lowbrow and highbrow for film lovers of all taste levels. You can find the podcast Better Than Speed on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. That is a, a very specific concept for a podcast. Yeah. It's in it's in line with what we were just talking about with the B-movie trailer No, it really stuff, is. I think. Oh, that's true, yeah. yeah. You have to, yeah. It gets into really like... Every time you watch a movie, compare it to the movie Speed. Exactly, yes. Like, a neural network, but we accidentally only fed it copies of the movie Speed. But also <laughs> like legitimate film criticism podcasts. Yeah, but it's like a 10 to 1 ratio of Speed to a great movie. <laughs> Thank you, Better Than Speed podcast, for um, shouting out on our show. Uh, you can find their show, uh, as said, on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are. I did a search for Better Than Speed podcast on Google, and it came up immediately, so it's easy to find. If good you, SEO, guys. Good work. Good SEO. Yeah, you did it. Um, so if Chris. you would like to shout out 
on our show for personal or commercial purposes. You can find uh, the page to do that at our store, store.idlethumbs.net, where you can just purchase those right from your browser. And then we will read them on our podcast. Thanks again to the Better Than Speed podcast. What is it that you linked in the uh, host zone, Nick? I found the source image for the uh, <laughs> the car, uh, the thing, the image that it that it thought you were the guy. Oh, really? It's it's associated with the boys are back in town disc two, <laughs> but I'm I'm fairly certain that that's not a member of Thin Lizzy, but maybe it is. We are back, I believe. Oh, I believe we're back. Yeah. I don't know. A few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, Jake. Oh, it was. Uh, you can guess when it was. Cause it was Halloween it was. time. It was definitely Halloween time. Okay. <laughs> so over Halloween time, in other words, over Jake's birthday time, Jake attended the what? Petaluma Corn. Petaluma, maze? California Corn Maze. Corn Maze, uh, and that um, invited an email from Shu, who had some corn maze details. Shu writes, I found myself wondering recently how some of the more elaborate corn mazes are designed and built these days, so I did a little research. While I'm sure some more modest mazes are grown the old-fashioned way, an industry has sprung up providing high-tech solutions. Behold the Carpentino Brothers Farm in Kent, Washington, which uses a fascinating method to create its maze with the help of a company called MazePlay. Using a computerized seed planter with the map of the corn maze design, corn is planted in the perfect design. Essentially, the planter functions much like a dot matrix printer on a massive scale. I find it fascinating how something as rustic and folksy as a country corn maze is being created with high-tech solutions. But all it takes is the wrong digital file uploaded, and you wind up with an acres-wide cornfield in the shape of Garfield, or, I don't know, the Snapchat hot dog. Imagine that. Shoo. (laughs) Yeah, this is really impressive. It is... The corn is literally planted precisely according to the desires of the corn maze designer such that only the walls of the corn grow rather than how I assume it worked where you create you just plant an entire field plant of corn an entire field yeah yeah and, and then, then stomp just it down stomp, or whatever. yeah exactly mm-hmm. just reap it so the corn maze that I went in I looked this up the corn maze that I went in is, a, is a, one of your traditional American oh, okay. corn mazes it's Good not a robot fashioned American corn maze yeah it turns out I think the one handmade that I, it's a handmade <laughs> they made, yeah. the, made like grandma's corn maze yeah, <laughs> um, I I looked up the history of corn mazes, at least as they as they stand as goofy Halloween attractions, and they started in um, the mid nineties. Really? That's no. At least as like a, as like wow. a, like I think it's because like this style of like pumpkin patch as huge Halloween attraction. I mean, hedge mazes have existed forever. The but farther I think, back you go, corn was actually like a reasonable agricultural crop that people grew to like use for stuff in our new in our sort of modern era of just <laughs> corn subsidy corn consumption where yeah. everything is corn and everything is made out of corn and it's fucking free to plant corn because every the government wants you to plant infinite corn uh what the fuck else we do you just, do than we just, just like it. plant it yeah just so you can mow just, it down yes and have people yeah. walk through it welcome to <laughs> corn land at least what is documented <laughs> as the first like for entertainment only corn maze was uh at 
Lebanon Valley College in Pennsylvania in 1993, uh-huh. and the corn maze in Petaluma. I am shocked. The corn maze in Petaluma yeah. dates back to 1995. That's wow. it. Early corn maze. Yeah, literally, wow. and it, was, it it may have been independently developed, or at least it was pre-internet. This is this is a you weird. You guys, thing. we're older than corn maze. Yeah, it's weird. Well, I mean, I think all of them are people who went, oh, I really love like European style hedge mazes, and I have this corn. <laughs> but we're Americans. <laughs> we want something weirder we and corn. somehow more parochial. I think that uh, it, I think that it most likely came from I have a Halloween pumpkin patch and also I have a regular farm that has corn in it. Yeah. So I'm going to mm-hmm. turn the corn into a maze. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I read an article about the one in Petaluma uh, and as of 1995, the, the internet was still new enough and communication globally was slow enough that even though there were a couple other American corn mazes, this was getting like fascinated write-ups in like the in the press in Germany that was like, America wow. has a corn maze. Huh. Think about this, a corn maze. <laughs> and the guy was like, yeah, I, I had to keep feeling calls from European newspapers who were fascinated and delighted by a corn maze. Wow. Yeah. Huh. But uh, it's it's envy of the world. Corn mazes have been yeah. massively disrupted though in our modern economy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by a robot. Well, I mean, it's clearly one of our competitive advantages on the global stage. Yeah, corn maze. Got to innovate corn maze. Does the Petaluma corn maze spell maze like M A Z E? Like a like it a doesn't actually spell maze corn maze. It's solve? called the Petaluma pumpkin patch, and it has oh, a corn fuck maze. That what? Because a lot of corn mazes they spell they say they're called corn maze, but the second word maze is spelled M A I Z E, like the actual word oh, no. for corn. This one is corn, uses the corn. word for maze, Chris. Yeah. We keep it classy in Petaluma. Yeah. Because some of them are the corn maze, some of them are the corn maze, some of them are the maze maze. Oh, yeah, there's also like the amazing corn amazing, maze. Amazing. Corn maze, yeah, there you exactly. go. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and I, thinking about corn maze and maze maze and corn maze, uh, reminded and maze, me- And maze, 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 maze. maze. The Remi- classic buffalo buffalo of, uh, of- Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it reminded me of something that I first- It's maze, Stumbled maze, maze, on maze. years ago on Wikipedia, which is, which is, uh- a war that I a corn war, a c- fucking corn war, maze war, um, maze wars. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> that's also that's a laser tag arena that I grew up with. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's definitely at least one like YA book to movie attempted book to movie franchise. Maze wars, it's fucking oh. maze wars. There's a fucking one of those that's about running through a maze. Yeah, it's maze runner. It? Yeah, okay, but but you know, it's a maze <laughs> corn runner. Uh, <laughs> That's how they got that subsidy. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah, they filmed it. They filmed in Iowa. Um, so one of the things that I have been aware of on Wikipedia—that's stupid. I know. One of the things that they has been happening on Wikipedia for what I now know to be over a decade. This wow! Is like this is like half the lifespan of corn mazes yeah, existing. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yes, exactly. For uh, possibly longer than that, but uh, at a glance, at least a decade. Um, there has been a a corn maze war waged on the talk page of the Wikipedia page for maze, uh, which is what we understand as to be corn. Um, so, can you, you just think that's <laughs> the, spell that out? So everyone yeah, is absolutely absurd. From, from yeah, this yeah. point on, the when I say maze, I mean M A I Z E. The mm-hmm. the word for the food that we commonly call corn in English speaking in most English speaking countries. Yeah, um, because uh, corn is actually a more generic phrase. It's just such a the you know maize these like yellow kernels on a cob are the are so overwhelmingly 
commonly what we mean when we refer to corn, that instead of saying maize, we typically say corn. But on Wikipedia, the page is maize. If you go to corn on Wikipedia, it will redirect to maize. But canonically, uh, this food or this this agricultural crop is referred to as maize. And there is a fucking like to the death, never ending battle being waged on the talk page between extremely passionate Wikipedia editors about whether this should continue to be titled maize, this Wikipedia page, or whether it should be moved to corn. And there is a, a record <laughs> of these battles. I mean, these are like the sort of standout moments, but the, the war just rages co- year in, year out. So uh, let's see here. Requested move from maize to corn, 20th June, 2007. Outcome, no consensus. Requested move, maize to corn, uh, 21st of February, 2011. Outcome, no consensus. Uh, request to move, maize to corn, 11th of August, 2013. Outcome, no consensus. Request to move, maize to corn, 22nd of June, 2015. Outcome, not moved. Which feels... Oh, the like, like, oh, piece wow, has okay. been moved assertively forward on the board on the yeah. maize side right yeah, there. But yeah. definitely this page hasn't been moved anywhere. Yeah. Uh, not moved. <laughs> Feels a lot more conclusive than no consensus. Yep. Um, that mm-hmm. was in 2015, so I don't know. Um, anyway, so there, this wiki, this fucking like discussion forum for this Wikipedia thing is basically its own entire Wikipedia page that starts off with maize versus corn, summary of arguments. And then it has a subsection <laughs> pro maize and then pro corn. And each of those has like their own subsections outlining common pro maize and pro corn arguments. You should try to put a Wikipedia article, submit a Wikipedia article for maize versus corn <laughs> Wikipedia debate. Yes, oh man. Yes. And then document brilliant. all of it inside yeah, of Wikipedia. For sure. And then there's another section for the title of the page. And then there's like external links to support all of this. Uh, <laughs> It's <laughs> hello, fe- fellow Wikipedians. I have just modified eight external links on maize. It's it just goes on and on. But the maize versus corn summary of arguments, which is the first section, is very good because of of the implication of the kind of behavior that has been happening to prompt this mm. like opening summary here. Here are the leading arguments on both sides of the maize versus corn debate. In the future, instead of saying, this has all been argued before, you can provide a link to this section so that new disputants can quickly get caught up. Contra the usual talk page policy, I give you my permission to edit this section to make the arguments clearer or more persuasive or to add arguments that I omitted. Please do not edit this to weaken arguments. Please do not add personal invective. Please do not add counter objections. And please do not sign your contributions. This section is for a clear and concise statements of the reason for each position, not for back and forth arguing or conversation. God, this is a small Wikipedia inside of Wikipedia. Yes. Oh, now, yeah. we need, now, so which which side is pro corn or pro maize? The one more likely to infight amongst itself over its own angles and stances, oh, and then wow. self-defeat, and then we'll have to create its own sub-sub-sub Wikipedia. You know, I actually don't really know. So when I fir- because when I first and which side is presenting a surprising fundamentalist uniform front that will win? Uh, actually, right. <laughs> I have a little bit of insight into that, but I must have last actually looked at this war before 2012, which is when. So th- that that passage I just read yeah. was published on the 7th of June, 2012. Uh, at 1229 Universal Time or whatever it is. Uh, but when I last came here, it was not this like 
sort of elegant, organized right. thing. It was mm. just a straight up fucking like knockdown, drag out war between people with threaded comments nesting essentially to infinity of people just dunking so on each other. So it was like an old style, like 1997 WWW board web forum, basically. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and now it's been replaced by this fairly genteel. Um, so there was a corn accord for sure. There was at definitely one point. A, a corn accord. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, excuse uh, me. A maze. Uh, a maze meeting. A maze meeting. A corn accord. <laughs> a maze meeting. It's vi- there is a very, very vigorous debate as to whether the summit should be called a corn accord or a maze meeting. Yes. <laughs> um, so they, they, they've ultimately held the meeting in a corn maze, a neutral yeah. ground. Well, I think I think each side calls it whatever you know they prefer. Right. It's like yeah. the war of northern aggression. You know. I mean, exactly. It's, right. They, they refuse. Like, they refuse yeah. to acknowledge the other right. side. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's sort of the the ideal is a two state solution, but in the meantime, yeah. each right. each faction but will they also. Will agree there is only one thing that is delicious and it is corn or maize that you can't separate these two things there's right you know yeah 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 i i but the ideal version of this is is that all of these people in this war shut up we go are are taking part because they just really love corn i mean maize uh it's just delicious to them and it 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 eats them up inside no matter what they would eat up corn uh inside maize uh or maize uh, that anyone would refer to this delicious treat by anything other than its true name. Um, there is kind of an. Uh, <laughs> God, sorry. No, I'm just I'm just imagining the banquet that they all sit down to, and and then the, <laughs> yeah, the, the corn the corn side the corn side just like immediately like opening volley just like pushes a bowl of popcorn across the table. Oh, what dude, are you gonna fucking, fucking call that? No, that is definitely <laughs> really included okay. in these arguments. All right. So there's like a fundamental um, dis- difference between how the two sides are presented. Okay. So there's the pro maize side and there's the pro corn side, and this is this is like really interesting right from the start before you even read any of the substance of the of the arguments because pro maize has only a single argument on its behalf. The pro maize side, and let's not forget, maize is, according to Wikipedia, the canonical name for this crop. Um, the pro maize side has a single argument, which is that maize is precise, corn is ambiguous. And there is support for this, which includes um, the Oxford English Dictionary definition of corn, uh, grammar about the collective singular, uh, Wikipedia's guidelines for naming articles about plants. Um, these are all included in the single pro maize argument, maize is precise, corn is ambiguous. On the other hand, pro corn has six arguments. They are maize is a formal, obscure word, uh, an argument on behalf of searchability, an, argu- an argument that the United States usage should prevail, an argument mm. that it is inconsistent with other usage, an argument uh, regarding corn in non-United States usage, and finally, the argument that other encyclopedias say corn. So there are six pro-corn arguments, but unlike the single pro-maize argument, every single one of these pro-corn arguments has, actually not every single one, almost all of them, after giving the positive case for each of these arguments, has a sub-objection section. <laughs> so for instance, in searchability, there's an argument about a Google searches the word corn used much more than maize, etc. cetera. Uh, the, there's an objection, however, um, that points out that this article came up as the number one result on Google and Bing and the number two result on Yahoo uh, for corn. Therefore, calling this article Article maize is not right. presenting an obstacle for people looking up corn, even for people. So who don't one, use, so know one the side word is maize. hoping that six 
pretty good argument yeah. will defeat one rock solid exactly. argument. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly the case, right? It's whether it's it's essentially an argument. So there's like one full like ear, whatever, like one full like <laughs> fully right. versus someone then they're yeah. sort of lobbing kernels at yeah. it hoping that they can chip it yeah, away exactly. to it's get a, to the cob really, within I the flimsy maze cob. Exactly. Maze cob, my <laughs> maze cob maze pipe. Cob, my pop maze. Uh I hadn't thought about this, uh, Jake, until you presented that sort of framing. But this is essentially the argument between prescriptivists and descriptivists in grammar. If you're familiar with use with like the sort of usage schools of thought between prescriptivists and descriptivists, so uh, prescriptivists will say like these grammatical rules are accepted and therefore this usage is what you should use. And descriptivists will say, no, the rules should simply describe what is actually in common usage, which will change over time. There is a middle ground between those that is is fairly case dependent. Yeah, but how um, does that work when you have maize versus corn? It can't. Only one can be can be the Wikipedia page, our URL. That is, that is only <laughs> one of them can be true. So you have to choose a side. Nick, to your point, mm-hmm. the, ar- the pro-corn argument uh, inconsistent with other usage reads in, in its entirety as follows. No one says pop maze, maze on the cob, <laughs> etc. The Wikipedia flora guidelines say to favor consistency. That's it. The objection in this inside of this argument is like four times longer than the actual <laughs> argument itself. And it says these examples actually illustrate the highly varied, ambiguous meaning of corn. Oh, for God's the definition sake. below explains why no one says pepper maize or barley maize. Uh, this is from the Oxford English Dictionary definition of corn Two, the small hard seed or fruit of a plant. Now only with contextual specification or defining attribute as in barley corn, peppercorn, etc. A seed of one of the cereals, as of wheat, rye, barley, etc. It isn't unusual for regional terminology to vary according to context. For example, small sweets are called candy in the United States and lollies in Australia, but Americans and Australians alike enjoy lollipops and candy canes. No one calls them candy pops or lolly canes. So that said, popsicle versus ice lolly in uh, America and oh, UK shit. is a good oh, example shit. of that. You need sub objection, <laughs> Jake. You gotta you gotta march into this and really plant your flag. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's a good poll. Anyway, I'm gonna stop reading from this Wikipedia page because I could it could go on literally forever. Um, I mean, essentially forever, as I have discovered. as it has. Yeah, I wonder if there's a history page of the talk page where you can find the old, more raucous corn versus maize wars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love this stupid shit. It's so dumb. It's just a waste of all these people's time. Uh, but it's really great. It's it's really good. And I it's it's really funny that there's now the sort of Geneva conventions of the corn versus maize wars <laughs> where there's like, look, we can have a war, but you really have to like not kill your prisoners. Uh, <laughs> I love that this has been waging on a, like basically a, a hidden page inside of Wikipedia for all this time. Yeah, it's like this a should be referred to as the pop secret wars, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Um, so that's that's corn versus maize for you. Do you guys want to endorse things? Yeah, let's endorse. Hey, endorsing. I will go first. Um, so, I, if you're anything like me, you completely squandered your college education. Uh, call, go. <laughs> <laughs> going to like you know a four year liberal arts college, um, I mean I went to a public school, but you know nonetheless, um, it is an opportunity to learn all kinds of things that are uh, of 
very broad scope and all regardless of what your major is you can take classes in any subject that it's incredible opportunity um to do you know engage in all kinds of learning and i basically did none of that uh i i majored in music and didn't try very hard um because i was a big piece of shit and it's a complete fluke and lucky thing that i have any sort of career whatsoever um because it certainly has nothing to do with my uh degree or anything related to to what I did with my college years. I've always kind of regretted that and uh, always wished I had spent some amount of time learning about a broad range of topics relating to history and philosophy and uh, all sorts of other things that I just did not engage with uh, at the time that there's like an entire framework for you to do exactly that. And I have come across a podcast in the last week or so that I actually found through a New Yorker article and the podcast is a BBC radio show called In Our Time with Melvin Bragg. This po- this radio show has been running uh, almost weekly since 1998. So there are some seven- Just a little younger than Corn Maze. Just a little, yeah, a little, <laughs> little younger than Corn This is like a baby, baby brother to the Corn Maze. Uh, there are some 700 episodes available uh, because it's been wow. running for so long. Yeah, it's inc- wow, and they've got them all archived as a podcast. Yeah, they're they're all there as a That's podcast. Crazy. Yeah, and that's uh, a hefty RSS feed. Yeah, I don't actually mm-hmm. know if the RSS feed stretches all the way back, but I'm sure. sure. But I think you can find all the episodes if you, if you, um, you know, on the on the BBC website. And um, this podcast is utterly fascinating to me because every week the host Melvin Bragg invites, um, I think, three other guests and the guests are all academics they're they're as far as i can tell always um academics from universities usually in the uk but sometimes um from other from just whatever universities around the world and they discuss anything (laughs) they there's a topic for each week and the topics are astonishingly broad i mean they cover uh philosophy mathematics literature history they actually have it broken up into separate podcast feeds so there's a philosophy podcast feed there's a history podcast feed there's a literature podcast feed and then there's just the fire hose, the fire hose. of absolutely everything and they completely change week by week and so if you just here are some examples of the most recent episodes of this show carl frederick gauss the city of thebes picasso's guernica feathered dinosaurs the Congress of Vienna, uh, Kant's categorical imperative. It just goes on and on and on and on. And I've just found myself sort of scrolling through this seemingly endless list of topics and just grabbing ones that struck me. And I love it. It takes a couple episodes, I would say, to sort of settle into because it is on the dry side, but it is also pretty lively discussion. And it's understood that it is for an audience that is not going into any of these topics knowing pretty much anything about them. Like no one person could have deep knowledge about the preposterous range of topics that this podcast covers where it's like, oh, cool. I didn't know anything about this historical topic or whatever. And now I'm coming out of it with kind of a working knowledge of the fundamentals of it. It's also just kind of a way to actually learn things and keep your brain engaged, but also sort of an escape from like doing that in the news like if you need like <laughs> right. like 
shit Learn about a fixed of, point in in Earth and human history right. as opposed to the roiling garbage that we mm-hmm. are currently engulfed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's, again, the, the podcast and radio show is called In Our Time with Melvin Bragg, and it is a delight. Nice. So that's me. Nice. Uh, Jake, what do you got for us? Well, uh, following on from that, not at all, other than I guess it takes <laughs> place in England, I'm going to endorse an article on vice.com that I read this morning. Okay. Called I Made My Shed the Top Rated Restaurant on TripAdvisor. <laughs> uh, it's uh, the author of this article talks about some jobs they had when younger uh, to open the article, including writing fake reviews of restaurants on TripAdvisor for like getting paid 10 pounds to write a positive review of a restaurant without going there and then saying, oh, I, I really enjoyed watching how. Um, some of my positive reviews would actually like be a little a little bit of a magnet on TripAdvisor mm-hmm. that would cause the restaurant's fare, uh, yeah, or the restaurant to fare a little better over time. And Weird. then decided, okay, I'm going to try my best to make the number one top reviewed top reviewed restaurant on TripAdvisor in the city of London mm-hmm. uh, out of the shed and like little like house Wait, so in the back of my backyard. Didn't actually, create a restaurant. Correct. They well, fucking fictionally created. Yes. It's the it, claim that there's a restaurant. It's amazing. It's it's literally just like a, a random like back garden of a, of an English house that they yeah. then staged with some chairs and uh, basically like used <laughs> disgusting cleaning supplies and like a close up of their <laughs> own foot to create appealing food photos. What? And put them on the <laughs> website and then claimed that it was a really high concept right, reservation like only restaurant. It started off. It started off as a private kitchen and now takes some appointments and it's like. Oh wow! Yeah, so they they basically leaned into the most like high end food culture yeah. thing, where it's like all of the all of the foods are concepts mm-hmm. prepared based on your oh, mood man. and all these all this stuff. And it was just called the shed at then the street that it was on. It's literally oh, that's a shed. such a thing. That's such a fucking uh, believable. And thing. then uh, he opened it for one night when it, when the amount of shit became so unbearable because like the TripAdvisor, he literally had the number one or she, I don't know, I I, I think it's a guy had the number one restaurant in London on TripAdvisor. By the wow. end of this, like literally was the number what? one. So were other people claiming to have been there? I don't even understand. Using the technique of writing fake reviews to uh, up the interest, like the same device that this person was paid to employ for other restaurants yeah, exclusively right. did that for long enough that like it became so talked about in such a visited page yeah. that interest in it brought it to the top of the charts uh, for like most intriguing or like most searched I, I bubbled up to the top of restaurant search on TripAdvisor apparently in some capacity that is very that was meaningful yeah and, wow uh, like the little burner cell phone purchased for this endeavor apparently just like was overloaded emails wow. were overloaded and yeah eventually it was like okay my friend who actually has some experience as a chef I'll call in and we'll like make it look kind of nice but really there's just like some chickens wandering around and like some string lights <laughs> and they they had like expanded seating quote unquote that was on the roof of the shed like he uh, this person like had actors oh that right. was the other thing it was like it has <laughs> actors there to be the other patrons yeah. who were just saying oh I love this food this is so good <laughs> when it, they're basically being served like heated up grocery store food <laughs> with like some garnish right. on it and like actors on the roof of this shed at a table acting like a couple who are having an amazing time yeah. and he piped in sounds of a kitchen oh Oh, man. Oh, oh th- anyway, this article is fantastic, and it yeah. seems like it all worked. And I kept expecting it to get to be mean for it to be like a takedown of restaurant culture or TripAdvisor or something, but it was all 
very light and not snarky, including the conclusion of just like, well, if you can do this, that's actually maybe like it, yeah. it's hard. To, it's it wasn't a very it wasn't an explicitly positive spin because it's all ridiculous. Right. But right, it was right, more, right. it was it's not done in mean spirits at all. It wasn't right. meant it right. wasn't meant to just dump the on actual, any of these. The things. actual sort of bummer part of it is using these techniques for real restaurants. Yes, but this is like the fun, totally harmless. Yeah. TripAdvisor actually techniques. talks about that in here, where they said this wasn't. We think this wasn't caught by our algorithms because you weren't trying to boost a real restaurant by means right. people usually do. This whole thing was made up from nothing, and it was yeah. really it just sort of like slipped through. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. it, it just, uh, yeah, there was no way to fact check it against anything else because it literally didn't exist, and like no one would ever do this. Like the exact thing this person did, they wouldn't do for real. Right, right. So you know what this reminds me of is. Um, Actually, weirdly, um, another New Yorker article that I that I read in this case about a year ago. the The article is Damon Barrell, Barrell, the most exclusive restaurant in America, and it's about what is ostensibly a restaurant in upstate New York with that is uh, operated entirely out of this guy's home. This chef, Damon Barrell. Um, which claims to have a 10-year waiting list and it's like the hardest reservation to get in the world or whatever. And the New Yorker article is this long investigation to try to figure out what the deal with this is and like, does this restaurant even exist? And like, it seems like the answer is yes, but it's not really clear how much of what any of its proprietor claims is actually true. Like, is the waiting list actually that long? The reporter like was having a lot of trouble finding anyone who had been on it or like anyone who even like had was on this like eight, you know, trying to find someone who's eight years deep on it. Like it was, it was, it's a really weird, interesting article about um, sort of related to this about, I guess, kind of myth making and like um, creating an image and uh, the restaurant supposedly has been in this guy's he's been operating it since like 1989 or something Mm -hmm. and the article is like it's really not clear like how much of any of this is real uh like the the person as i recall i haven't read this article recently because i i didn't know what your endorsement was gonna be jake but um you know they went to this guy's house and it and it was the guy was like evasive about certain things uh, but also, they're probably he probably does serve people food there. It seems, and like there are other sources that report on this restaurant. So I'll link to that as well. I guess as sort of a sub endorsement of your endorsement. As okay. you know, I can't explain in as much detail because I haven't read it as recently. But it was a fascinating adjunct to what you described. Uh, hmm. Nick, what is your endorsement? Um, following on from that, I guess, uh, with an endorsement of a weird, uh, surreal place in London that involves acting, um, the, we got an email from Josh who said, me and my partner will be traveling to the UK in May next year. Uh, we will be staying in London for two nights before traveling to see family elsewhere. Do you have suggestions for anything we should do or see in particular? I remember Chris mentioning he has enjoyed a bit of time there. Um, I <laughs> two nights is is a fairly short amount of time to recommend this, but I'm going to recommend <laughs> it anyway. Uh, which is uh, the Benjamin Benjamin Franklin House, yes. Um, yes, which is a place that I found while wandering around maybe eight years ago at this point. Yeah, it was nine a while years ago. ago. Yeah, I guess it's near King's Cross Station. I think. Um, no, does that I sound right, Chris? So, it's no. near a station. It's. it's I wandered Charing into Cross. it. Oh, Charing kind Cross. Of, Charing Cross. Char- yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, 
I wanted in there kind of assuming it would just be a fairly, you know, the, the, it's, it's the house in which Benjamin Franklin stayed while he was um, in London, uh, kind of post-revolutionary war, or was it post or pre-revolutionary war, Chris? I can't remember. I think it was post. It's post-revolutionary war. Uh, it was actually pre It was the 16 years leading up to the Revolutionary War. Right. So I thought this was just a museum that had probably, you know, walking in like, oh, this is the room that Benjamin Franklin would sit at his desk and mm-hmm. study. And, you know, this is the room where he slept. Uh, what it was, was uh, I walked in the door. There was a, a small reception area. A woman uh, in, you know, uh, period dress asked me for a fee. I paid the fee and she said, please follow me and took me into a cold, tiny, dark basement filled with like bones and left me there for what felt like a half an hour just sitting there. She said, please uh, enjoy uh, someone will be down to start the show. And I was like, the, the show? show? <laughs> and so I looked around, like, looking for, you know, a theater or, like, some secret doorway to the show. Yeah. But it was just a tiny, dank basement. And so eventually, after, like, looking at bones and, like, skulls with, like, holes poked in them from, uh, y- you know, like, brain surgery for, like, a half an hour and just being generally creeped out and hearing, like, creaking floorboards above my head... Um, <laughs> A man, also dressed in period dress, walked down the stairs and began the show. And the show is this multi-room, multi-scene tour through Benjamin Franklin's life, performed by actors, paid actors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe not paid very well, but yeah. clearly that is their job. Yeah. Uh, performed for me and me alone. Uh, and after each scene which was sort of acted out you know key moments in Benjamin Franklin's life like Benjamin Franklin's daughter kind of having a discussion with Benjamin Franklin about going to the United States or what have you and you're just sitting in a chair in the middle of his old bedroom watching these actors I think it's really important to note I think you're missing a really key detail here which is that Benjamin Franklin himself is Mm. not portrayed by any actor these people That's have true. conversations with Benjamin Franklin, but yes. the thing they are conversing with is a disembodied voice yes. of Benjamin Franklin that mm-hmm. is playing it like ambiently in the room. So yeah. what happens is you're sitting there in a chair. Like, look, do, just, do, they, do they make eye contact with you as if you, the audience, are Benjamin Franklin? No. They, no. Okay. No. They, they, it's a very strange thing. So they're there acting, and they're saying, like, Ah, my dear Benjamin, blah, 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 blah. And then this voice will say, ha, ha, Polly, blah, 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 And then she's like, ah, I will miss you, Benjamin. And you're just sitting there in your chair watching this one person just stand in a room, like yeah. gesticulate and act and do all well, this weird. stuff. The other, the other important thing to note is just the feeling of the scene coming to a close, which is the <laughs> yes. booming voice. She's standing there, you know, end scene. Um, and then she kind of, awkwardly walks off stage which is just walking to a doorway opening the door closing the door (laughs) and leaving you alone to just kind of figure out oh i've got to go to this room now and then there's another you go into another room with a single chair (laughs) you sit down in the chair the first someone creek 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 walks in it's like God, it doesn't. But yeah, ha- so I went to this, and then Chris went to this, and then like many people that we know have since yeah. gone to this. And, so the like, first, it's- the first time I went, it was on uh, probably a weekend or something, and there were like a dozen people 
at the mm. same showing I was. Like they run this. Oh, you know, really? Like you didn't have the uh, isolated experience. Okay. Well, so the first time I went, it had the whole people, and there's like three rows of chairs, and we all sit in on them. Yeah. We go through this thing, and it's like, ha, ah, this is kind of weird. Like we all sort of just looking at each other, like, okay. Um, but on your recommendation. The second time I went, I went at like 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. I yeah. went to like, this was a different trip, but like I went just in the middle of the day on a work day and I was <laughs> success, the only person there. And yeah. I, you know, walked That's into the, the room and there's like, there were still like three rows of chairs arrayed. It was prepared mm-hmm. for, you know, up to 30 people probably to be there. And I just remember just sitting down in the middle chair and just yeah. being three feet away from this woman, like express, because there are parts where they like cry and they're yeah, sad and like dramatic things uh, are happening, and you're just having this incredibly strange, like <laughs> extraordinarily awkwardly intimate moment wow, with another weird. person, like summoning the wells of human emotion, <laughs> and you're just like trying to shrink into your own body and yeah. shrivel up and die yeah. because the like intenseness of yeah. everything that's happening is is unreconcilable with like the reality. Uh, yeah. It's it's a very good experience that you should have in yeah. London. Also, mm-hmm. uh, our friend Duncan Fife did a fantastic write up of his oh, experience right. going oh, through the Benjamin right, yeah. Franklin House. Yeah, and, and our uh, recommendation. Yeah, yeah, it's on on his blog, Hit Self Destruct, which we can link in the we'll, show notes. We'll link to that. Yeah, I'm actually going back to London for New Year's in a few weeks, and Sarah's never oh, been nice. to Benjamin Franklin House. So oh, it's I time. Think, oh, I think we're gonna have to go. Hopefully, yeah. we'll be the only people there, and I will just duck out and let her experience the true. <laughs> like, oh, I got to take a call. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I have yep. to torture you. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> Sorry. I have to make you incredibly uncomfortable for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> Come find me. Uh, yeah. It's very good. Benjamin Franklin House. I, I would like to co-endorse that with Nick. Yeah. You, I, yeah. It's, um, it's uh, worth doing. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, that uh, that wraps up our weirdly UK-oriented endorsements. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of Important If True. I think this remote setup worked totally fine now that you said that without listening to the file it's a fact yeah that's okay i know i just i just i yeah genie just just smiled somewhere um (laughs) so thank you for listening to important if true if you enjoy this podcast please tell a friend tell someone on social media recommend it on facebook wherever um that is as i always say it remains true really the way we have to spread the word about this show. And it, I have seen a few people um, uh, recommend us on Twitter recently, and it is so nice to see. It is heartwarming. It warms my heart. And uh, our website is importantoftrue.com, and there you can subscribe to the show uh, on iTunes or with an RSS feed. Um, every episode has a, a video link. There's links to social media and all that. It's all up there on importantoftrue.com. And uh, our forums as well, linked from each episode. On that, um, that's all we have for you this week. But we will be back next week with another episode of Important If True. For Idle Thumbs, I am Chris Remo. I'm Nick Brecken. I'm Jake Rodkin. Even in Canada, Nick Brecken, stay spicy. But like slightly less spicy. <laughs> Just, you know, keep <laughs> yeah. it mod- moderate and spicy. Keep it moderate. Yeah. 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 yeah.
what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, this is the part that's like the normal part. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, no. Elves behaving badly. <laughs> rent a friend. Clothes. Celebrity explainer. How the fuck did that one get all the way up there? Whoa, that's an Lon- oldie. London endorsements. Fire alarms. Reclaiming furniture. Nick, I was thinking for reclaiming furniture, you and I could basically... I know what you're thinking. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Corn maze follow-up. Yeah, we can talk about (laughs) corn maze follow-up. 